Welcome to the Intelligence Briefing, What's the Buzz? Where leaders and hands-on experts in AI and automation share how they have turned hype into outcome. I'm your host, Andreas Welch, and if you would like to stay current on running AI in business, make sure to sign up for my newsletter at intelligence-briefing.com. Today, we'll talk about how you can use generative AI to improve your user experience in your applications. And who better to talk about it than someone who's been teaching hundreds of teams on AI and analytics over the years, Scott Clendenial. Hey, Scott, thank you so much for joining. I am so excited to be here. I can hardly contain myself. Thank you for inviting me. Awesome. Hey, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what you do? Sure. So first of all, I am older than dirt. I actually started in the field in March of 1986. So I've been doing this for quite a while. I absolutely love helping people learn all about artificial intelligence, machine learning, data science, all those fields. Done a heck of a lot of consulting. I've had clients you may have heard of. Audi, Biogen, Mercedes, Los Angeles Times, folks like that. And so now I'm trying to transfer that knowledge to others and bring more people into the field. Scott, should we play a little game to kick things off? Okay. All right. Wonderful. Should I win a free car? Probably not. All right. We'll do it anyway. But how about reputation and reputational points? Excellent. All right. Look, so this game is called In Your Own Words. And when I hit the buzzer, the wheels will start spinning. When they stop, you'll see a sentence. I'd like you to answer with the first thing that comes to mind and why, in your own words. And to make it a little more interesting, you'll only have 60 seconds for the answer. Now, are you ready for what's the buzz? As ready as I'm going to get, I am. Okay, perfect. Here we go. If AI were a song, what would it be? 60 seconds on the clock, go. If AI were a song, what would it be? I'll tell you what it would be. Help by the Beatles, because that's where we're going with this. Help! I need some info. Help! Not just any info. How would that be? That would be awesome, right? Hey. We all can use a little more help. Fantastic. And well within time. I've seen a lot of creative answers, but help is perfect. Why don't we talk about the actual topic of the show around user experience? Look, I think we've all obviously seen generative AI in the news last year, still in the news this year. Good thing. I think this year it's more about where the rubber meets the road. Implement AI, get your pilots out of your lab into production. But I also see that, that it obviously democratizes access to AI-powered applications and those insights. So whether you're a senior executive or you're a first-year student, English is the new programming language, which makes it so universally applicable and accessible. But I wonder, from your perspective, what's so remarkable about generative AI when it comes to user experience? All right, so let me throw a question out to you and the audience at large. When you go to send an email, Andreas, we're going to start with you. Yeah. What programming language do you use? Good question. I don't know what's under the hood, but... You go to the web. Which programming language do you use? You probably just use a browser, right? When yeah. you go to create a presentation, you use some type of app. So the whole process of creating software and the point of creating software was to put things into apps so that people didn't have to reinvent the wheel over and over again. 
But somehow that memo seems to have been skipped to our friends in the artificial intelligence community. Whereas, no, you have to be a ninja in Python to do anything. No, you have to be able to do this. You have to be able to code. You need to know IDEs. So not only am I going to teach you all the statistics, but I'm also going to teach you computer science and all these obscure languages and all this kind of stuff. Really? We don't require on your driving test to be able to understand compression ratios on a gas path powered engine, right? Or at least mine didn't. So the whole process of applications to simplify things and make things easier is also about user experience. But programmers, a small group of folks, not programmers, but programmers, thank you to Nicole for giving me that phrase, <laughs> is the fact that, you know, you have to be able to do everything I can do before you can touch your information. Yeah. And then consider the screen that you see when you go to ChatGPT as an example. It's largely a blank screen with a place to type. You don't need to code anything. You don't need to know how to do it. even GUI interfaces. It's basically you type your answer and hit enter. And so the beauty is people who have been scared off from our field for a long time now have access to things that they never would have had before. And I think it's remarkable. A lot of the stuff that AI does now, it did before. It did search before. You could generate text before. So what's the difference? Why is it so popular now? And I'm going to be really controversial here. And I'm going to say it is not so much that artificial intelligence has improved. It's that we've simplified the user interface. I love that. I remember working with customers a couple of years ago on AI first pilot projects. We didn't call it AI, then we called it machine learning because we wanted to be very precise and, and, and accurate. And accuracy, for example, was one of the variables or, or one of the piece of information that we wanted to display to business users. And they saw 80% accuracy and they thought, that's awesome. And they tried it out and the results were garbage. I said, well, actually, if it's 95 or 97%, that's when it gets really good. And 99%, that's where you want to be. And they couldn't believe that 80% was garbage. To your point, if you, don't, if you need to expose that, if you make it simpler to begin with to interact with these systems, that's a huge opportunity. That's uh, Well, it's funny because you even talk about the labels. We now call it artificial intelligence. Back when I started, it was data mining, and no one uses that phrase anymore. And then it was KDD, knowledge discovery and databases. And then it was predictive analytics. No, that's not good enough. No, it's going to be machine learning. No, it's going to be data science. Lots of the stuff has been the same the whole way through. But we keep changing the name just to make things harder for people. And that's a great example. If you type in any of those things, you're going to get similar results back because we have removed that complexity. I really love that. And again, for business users, I think it makes it so much easier to finally get results and get useful results without the complexity of having to understand the technical details in the background. So by the way, for you in the audience, if you have any questions for Scott, feel free to pop them in the chat and we'll take a look in a couple of minutes and take Great. some of those as well. So speaking of business users, what do you think there is the potential for them? Maybe what's an unexpected aspect of large language models that you've seen for improving the user experience there? I think a lot of it is it opens doors. And what I mean by that is I can tell you that I myself am probably the worst graphic designer in the history of the universe. I may have the heart of a da Vinci, but 
but I have the skill set of a one-armed troll with a really bad hangover. So I can have ideas. Oh, I'd like to have this image to be able to convey this message, an actual business use case. I want to convey this message to others. And it's very complicated and I'm trying to think of how to do it. There is no way in heck you could give me all the tools in the world and that was not going to be helpful. But now I can go into one of the generative AI tools and say, okay, I'm looking for something that sort of looks like this. I can prototype all kinds of different things. And I'm not even saying that's going to be the final result, but the amount of time savings, I wouldn't have even ventured into that realm before. Now I'll play around. I get a little more self-confidence. I'll try refining my prompts over time. I never would have done that. I love Adobe Photoshop and all those products. They're lovely, but yeah, that was not going to help. This removes that fear and removing that fear allows business users to do all types of tasks that they would have been afraid to approach before. Well, yep. I like how you also broaden the definition, if you will, or the variety of generative AI. If you're in business, a lot of the use cases that we see today are still focused on text and text generation, summarization. What are the key points out of this meeting, out of the meeting minutes? or even things like Barter or now Gemini summarized this YouTube video for me, if you can access it. Absolutely. Let's just take a simple example. It is very hard for most people to sit in a series of meetings back to back. There's been all kinds of research that even a 15 minute separation between meetings does wonders for the human brain to be able to recover just a bit. When you're even have something as simple as an AI assistant in a meeting to take the notes, I have to worry less that I'm typing and writing and summarizing the point and listening and coming up with my response all at the same time. It seems simple because we have to do it all the time, but it does get complex. Instead, I can really listen to what's happening and form my response and not be just obsessed with note taking. It frees up that cognitive load for me to do the things I hope I'm better at. I'm really excited to see where this is going. Maybe even get some coaching. What are the questions that I should be asking following the conversation and having context about me? Yeah. Can I share a magic trick with you? Oh, only by exception, yes. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Actually, one of the things that if you are new to generative AI, one of the beautiful things is if you get stuck, you can ask your question about generative AI in ChatGPT or whatever or Gemini or whatever your weapon of choice is. If you're a stalker, you get an instruction that you don't fully understand, you can clarify and you can say, what do you mean by that? And a lot of times students won't do that in a full classroom setting because they don't want to feel embarrassed. They don't want to feel like, oh, my boss is going to think I'm an idiot if I didn't catch that last thing. But if you're in something like Gemini, you can actually Gemini for use Gemini for some tips on how to create better Gemini props. Um, that is one of the things that I think just opens up all kinds of possibilities. I love just the power, right? The now is at our fingertips. You know, it's not the first time that we also hear it's all about language. A couple of years ago, we talked about chatbots as the new thing, as the new interface for voice commands in the enterprise and what have you. And I think it hasn't quite happened yet, whether it's in an office where you have an open space and everybody's talking to their assistant, gets a little loud and annoying maybe, or let alone field service. I've been in those environments. Yes, I understand. <laughs> All of a sudden you trigger your your desk neighbor's assistant to do something or whatever that maybe we've seen that with 
Google Assistant with Alexa in our homes when they suddenly go off. Now, even let alone field service or on an oil rig where it's just impractical that somebody speaks to that system, given all, all the environmental conditions and noise and everything. So what do you think is different this time than when it comes to language and voice, large language models? What's different this time compared to chatbots? from a couple of years ago. Ryan. Andreas, I'm so glad you asked that question because fortunately I was prepared with a response. <laughs> that <laughs> is this guy, your cell phone. Why? Because most people in the past 10 years have given up to a large extent on calls back and forth within the office. They've just surrendered. But what do we use all the time? Text messages. Text messages is the primary mean of communication, especially for folks younger than I am, which is most everybody. <laughs> But <laughs> that, that, that sort of interface we're really comfortable with, and we use it all the time. And one of the other things that helped us was the fact that with the rise of search engines over the past 20 years is the fact people are used to typing in questions. And so I don't have to fool about the timbre of my voice. I can take as long as I want. It's basically texting to a really smart, and for the moment, we're going to keep the hallucinations and the accuracy issues off to the side for right now. But in general, we have this whole means of access using an interface that we're so familiar with, which is you're basically a giant text message system when you're using one of these LLMs. Right. So that's your answer? That's my answer. Oh, okay, good. Did you even remember the question? Because that happens to me. Yeah, all, all good. So I see An Anil here is asking in the chat if you have any tips how to deal or handle copyright issues when using UX generated from Gen AI tools. <laughs> yes, I do. Think of all of the generative AI tools in one of two realms. One would be brainstorming, help to come up with some different ideas, developing prototypes, that type thing. Number two, is being able to come up with different ideas that you couldn't have thought of on your own. So you're brainstorming the system, the system's brainstorming back to you. But it's like a good first draft. In terms of the copyright issues, do not use anything that comes out of generative AI. It's already been pretty well established that you can't copyright stuff that comes out of generative AI. And I don't know if anyone else noticed, but in the past month, The patent office has now said that anything, any patent that's written or comes out of AI will not be recognized, and that patent is it. So this is your first step field. This is your brainstorming field. This is the area where I'm going to come up with new ideas and test some things out. So in terms of copyright, avoid it like the plague. Think of it as coming up with the different ideas. If you're going to have an image, take the image that you created as a good example and then send it to whoever your internal artist is or do it on your own. Wonderful. And if it's Thank you. Text, be really careful. Yeah. yeah. When it comes to UX, one of the tools that I was really surprised by was one that uh, Tobias Swingman mentioned a couple of months ago when he was on the show, and it was Vercel, um, Vercel AI. And you can give it a prompt and you say, hey, create a layout for our website to do lead capture, for example, or as a landing page or a sign up for a newsletter or something else, or even more complex things. And using generative, it does come up with the design and it shows that to you and you can make modifications and you can transfer that over to an actual programming language. So that's where I got excited because it's not just text generation, not just image generation or a synthetic voice or video, but there are other really 
powerful and useful applications where you can use. Let me tell you an opportunity that's missed a lot by organizations that I mm -hmm. think that generative AI can also help with. For decades, when I worked in marketing, I was desperate to understand what exactly customers were thinking. And I either had to sit down with the customer service department, listen to phone calls come in, or look at messages from email requests or whatever else. One of the things you want to look into is the ability to actually capture what the first prompts that someone used for an internal tool were for several reasons. One, it helps you improve the UX of the product overall, even when it's not a uh, generative AI interface. But number two, what was their starting point? We in business have a nasty tendency to talk to ourselves. We come in and we can't erase what we think we know. So we just assume that everybody else knows that. We assume that they want this new benefit or this new feature or whatever else. You have a non-stop collection of user-generated research information. Take some time to read some of it, for heaven's sake. I'm not saying read all of it, but you can also ask your generative AI tool to review what different questions or comments that have come through. What are the most common aspects? Because you want to learn about your customer. You want to hit the customer needs. And a great way to understand why people don't like your particular UX approach, you would really want to ask them the question. Well, if you've only got buttons on a website, you can't do that. But if you can capture what people are entering into your customer service team through the actual text, you will have amazing insights that you didn't have before. So in a way, even you use generative AI to summarize the information, the raw data that, that you're getting and draw some conclusions uh, from it. And that's where RAG comes into place. And I think that's going to become more and more important. There was some research that was released by Wharton, University of Pennsylvania, I guess, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, or that's where I found it. I don't know that they generated the research, but that's where I found the articles from a Wharton professor, was the fact that if you have a solely isolated resource to create your own generative AI interface, does not tend to do well at all because it loses all the language clues. So we've got the specialized information, so I fixed that problem, but now I've still got the interface problem. So that's why I think RAG's going to help, because it's going to allow the best of both worlds. Yeah, and make it tangible and preserve that context. Now, I'm wondering if you're an AI leader, if you want to become an AI leader in a business, what do you need to be aware of then when you want to introduce large language models, be it for improving the user experience or be it for other reasons? Yeah, one of the things that I'm a little worried about is the fact that we now want to call everything artificial intelligence, like everything in the world. And this is a funny but true story because I was like, gosh, and this was five years ago. AI on this, AI on that. Oh, our product has AI, AI everywhere. And I was like, wouldn't it be funny if someone said that they used artificial intelligence in a toaster? I will be darned if in 2017, I didn't find an old ad for a toaster with artificial intelligence. All right, stop using that phrase for everything just because it's an interface with a computer does not make it artificial intelligence. So I think as a leader, there are a lot of folks out there, bless their hearts, executives who come back from the golf course and 
our lady CEO was playing with other lady CEOs and our guy CEO was playing with his guy CEOs and they're all playing golf and they come back and say, okay, we got to do AI. Why? Because everybody else on the golf course is doing AI and I can't go out on the golf course and say, we're not doing AI. I don't want to be embarrassed. What? That's terrible. So when you're talking about this field, don't do AI because you want to be able to say you're doing AI. You need to find an appropriate problem where this is going to be a good fit. So throwing around the terms all over the place is not going to help you. Also, everyone is now using that phrase. So whatever type of market advantage you thought you had 18 months ago by using the phrase artificial intelligence is gone now because everyone else is saying it. So you're not differentiating yourself. So that's the first sort of problem area. The second problem area is plain old statistics and machine learning. Our old friend logistic regression, decision trees, random forest. Anybody remember those algorithms that we use for problem solving? You're a lot more likely to get a higher ROI from solving problems like fraud detection, response analysis, email open rates, all those simple binary outcomes with a simple algorithm than you are to go full out and buying all these platforms for artificial intelligence. Crawl, walk, run. You don't have to be full speed at the moment to be able to make this stuff work. Take it easy. That really brings it back to the basics, right? And also a bit of that misconception that generative AI now renders everything else obsolete in all of the logistic regression and statistical methods and so on. And, and it does not, right? Chat GPT does not generate your demand forecast. It, it probably does, but not very accurately. <laughs> There is that. <laughs> Now, one other question here in the chat, I think is really interesting. That's how soon will we see commerce where users can purchase goods or services within the chat interface versus using a specific app? What do you think? Is it a multi-year yeah. journey? Is it just connecting another API, like a plugin, like like Kayak or something else that you can already connect in, in chat GPT? What do you think? I think you could probably jury rig it today. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it, but yeah, with enough blood, sweat and tears, you can actually use a, a generative AI interface today as to be able to purchase goods. I don't recommend it because it's still very buggy. But yeah, I absolutely think that in 2024, there are going to be a bunch of products that offer that. Remember that the purpose of Amazon creating <clears throat> the product, which shall not be mentioned, hint, hint, it rhymes with Marexa. Um, the purpose was not for people to be able to play music. The purpose was they thought that this amazing device is going to be in every room in the house and people are going to be making purchases with it all the time. At one point, they had 10,000 folks working on hardware, software, all that. That's a lot of folks. And they completely missed the boat, in my humble opinion, on the interface of the power of things like ChatGPT. But they thought that e-commerce was going to be solved by this. I'm not sure that people particularly want to go into that type interface or trust it enough. So I don't think the issue is that we can't do the technology or when it's going to happen. It's when our customers really going to prefer that. What I think is really interesting about that point, and obviously I'm using some of those devices myself and have been using them for a while, is at least personally, I want to see the item. I want to see what does it look like? 
Is it large? Is it small? Is it white? Is it black? Is it a shade of white or a shade of blue? So in absence of, of the visual cues and information, just relying on language and then also trusting that the device accurately understands what I mean or gives me the options. If it's reciting the options, what was option number one again out of those three or out of those five? And are these even the three that I want to see? If you went into a store today with a live salesperson, 70% of all communication is nonverbal. Yeah. It's tone of voice, it's body language. You lose all that when you have a text interface. You're not going to have any of those components. And we still have a hard time getting sales professionals to understand what we want. And this is what they specialize in life to be able to do. So if we're expecting to get that type of clarity and communication, let alone your excellent point about the fact, but this doesn't help me see it. This doesn't help me hold it. Can I hold it up to my couch and make sure it matches or whatever? Yeah. I love the VR, by the way. See what this looks like in your room? Yes. For some things, that's really helpful. Yes. For a bunch of batteries or your dish soap, not so much, but definitely. We're getting close to the end of the show. And I was wondering if you could summarize the key three takeaways for our audience today when it comes to generative AI and improving user experience with it. Sure. Number one, encourage employees to use it as a testing ground for brainstorming, not for final results. Two, trying to ban it is a terrible idea because they're going to use it anyway. And you would rather have some type of level of control on understanding what they're doing. Three, I would say use it as a way of researching what people are really interested in and understanding customer needs. Just don't think of it as a Band-Aid. Think of it as a fantastic way to improve the overall customer experience. Those would be my top three. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Scott. Was a Thank pleasure you. I love you being on. here. Thank you for sharing your expertise with us. And for those of you in the audience for learning with us, I think it was a very insightful session. Really appreciate you giving us that, that broad overview and bringing it back to business and what really matters. You bet. I hope I can come back one day. Take care. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining and learning with us. See you next time for another round of the Intelligence Briefing. What's the buzz?